Welcome to Belief Beat, talking about things that matter with people who matter. This week we have the pleasure of hearing from three pastor spouses, Barb Horner-Eibler, who is a pastor in her own right, Andrew Otto, husband of Muriel Otto, and Barb Patterson, unity member whose husband has been a minister for many years. They'll be answering some questions about the rewards and challenges that come with being married to someone in the ministry. We hope you enjoy their conversation. Without further ado, here they are. You know, I think the one to start with actually is um, where were you married in this ministerial process? <laughs> did you do you know did you know what you were signing up for in the relationship, or did it just happen to you? Yeah, I can I can definitely sign. Uh, start us off with that. Uh, we were married in July of 2013. And at that point, Muriel had just graduated from seminary. Um, I had known her for seven years. Um, so I'd known her through our undergraduate years. And then obviously through three years of, uh, of seminary. So while I, I was aware of what Prospectively, I was getting into, I didn't have a lot of experience other than growing up with what ministers' spouses had uh, signed up for. So luckily, Muriel had two great mentors in, uh, in Bellingham, Washington, um, uh, both of whom had something I had never really met before, which was a, a male... Uh, spouse pastor and I, I I spoke with both of them uh, actually at length about the expectations that um, spouses have in the church uh, that was a UCC church um, sure. and I was comforted by that I think most importantly they impressed upon me the sort of unfairness of my position that for as long as there has been the church, there has been the pastor's wife and the expectations that, that she would be really involved uh, in his job uh, traditionally. And none of that would be levied on me, or at least it would be significantly more subdued. And um, because you were male, because I'm male. Yeah. And just Alice jumping on the couch in a duck in a duck costume with a robe on uh, a day in the life <laughs> and as soon as as soon as uh, uh, Damien and Rob comes to me I saw it immediately every time I appeared at a church function um, it was oh my goodness like out of, out of your own consideration you would choose to show up to this you know you don't have to come to these things uh, and I, I grew up with, you know, parents on pastoral committees and being very close to the pastor families of our congregation and the pastor's wife was always in charge of, uh, for a while she played the organ, uh, was in charge of things like bake sales and that was expected of her. Uh, and it struck me how unfair that, that was, that I was in this position, um, of grace and I didn't do anything to deserve it. Um, a privilege for sure. So at the outset, 
that is that is maybe the single greatest sticking point that uh, that I found. But as far as instruction goes, both Rob and Jamie impressed upon me the importance of setting boundaries and being very clear about uh, what I'm up for being a part of and what types of things I'm not up for doing. And then having a third category of things that I am the last resort for. Uh, because it's a, it's a profession that demands a lot of your family. And uh, some of that are very easy little things uh, that are just, I'm just gonna be around for a lot of uh, crises that need one more person. Uh, whether that's uh, running, you know, the projector in the back of the sanctuary because <laughs> the person who signed up didn't show up or, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know, showing up early to turn on the heat or the lights or something. Uh, easy, easy little things that um, I probably would not have signed up for on my own, but I'm very glad to do uh, so that's a, the third category of things. Up for, not up for. I will definitely do if nobody else is in for it. Um, and I'm very grateful for what they shared with me about that because I, while I had been close with pastor families in the past, it had not been um, as uh, equals is the wrong word, but I hadn't uh, spoken with them as an adult as somebody who was in a, a similar situation and looking at a, a lifetime of, of service to the ministry. Um, so I knew I had, Muriel and I were together through all of her jobs in seminary. And uh, mostly that was youth ministry and, um, you know, some preaching and being involved with the congregation, but it was uh, uh, lighter duty than full-time ministry. And I was, I was seeking out counsel on what to expect because it is, it's a calling, it's a lifetime, it's, uh, it's a family job. And I don't know if I'm, I'm the most graceful at, at that all the time. There are certainly uh, hard parts, but you know, I don't know anything else, so. I assume they come with every uh, every profession. Every professional demand requires something of your family, and I get the the joy of being able to to live with the wonderful things that come with Muriel's job, um, the fantastic service that she uh, provides to people is uh, all the energy I need to just keep uh, you know getting through some of those you know, inconvenient phone calls and, and things like that. But uh, I was very lucky to have two people who shared uh, their experiences, even though they weren't typical uh, with me at that time. And I'd be, I'd be very curious, uh, Barb, I, uh, I'm sure your, your path was a little bit different. Uh, mine was different for sure. Um, it, John, actually, when we were talking about this, said, hey, why am I not on this forum? Because I'm a pastor's spouse, too. So. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. So we started out, we both knew we were going into ministry at the beginning of our relationship. My ministry has subsequently 
evolved or devolved, I don't know which, but um, to a very different place. And uh, so now there are different demands. I would say as a minister's spouse, I've been very fortunate to be in congregations that did not expect me to lead the choir. Actually, they're fortunate they didn't expect me to do that either <laughs> or teach the Sunday school or um, they, every congregation has been very gracious and welcoming anything that I, any ministry I would participate in, but never expecting it, which has been um really a, a blessing um but it you know it, it and it'd be interesting I don't know Barb Patterson's situation I don't know you know when the ministry of being a minister's spouse is not a choice you make but something that happens to you along the way um does that change how you see it are the resentments kind of through life um in a way that maybe you and I already kind of knew about uh, when we get into the relationship and and don't so we don't resent um, so I don't know it's were there things Barb that you uh, didn't know you were signing up for um that came that maybe came about years later or some time later. Well, I think you really never know what you're signing up for. Ministry changed too in that time. Yeah. So I I think I mean you absorb it and um, kind of roll with it. Uh, I would say that as a result of being of having a a spouse. Um, so one of my congregations was a very rural congregation, and this was the most outrageous assumption made by a congregation that was not John's. It happened to be mine. Um, we, we had moved to a small town uh, where both of us were ministers. I was in the Presbyterian church. John was in the Lutheran church. Um, the Presbyterian church knew that John received a housing allowance from the Lutheran church, which they felt like they were owed. Even though a part of my package was to live in the manse that belonged to the church. And I was so confused when they posed this and said, well, do you usually charge spouses to rent, live in the manse? Do you charge them rent? Well, no, but We've never had a minister spouse who was a minister and getting a housing allowance. Well, you only get a housing allowance if you use a housing allowance, otherwise it's salary. And so it was a very confusing picture, but the assumption there was that the minister spouse who was a minister had a housing allowance that should go to the church. So it was a very confusing uh, and not so supportive time uh, that we had to navigate. And I went to medical school. <laughs> Therapy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the ministry changes over time. Yeah, I think generally, generationally it has changed. Um, you know, some, I don't have a lot of experience um, with 
with those con conversations, I'm sure Muriel and John and Sherry talk about it a fair bit, you know, just the different things that, uh, you know, ministers of our generation want and um, um, both want for themselves and want for the congregation, I'm sure, are different. Um, but I suppose that's another forum. Let's see. Next question up. Uh, let's or see. Anybody can ask a question. Yeah, feel free to jump in and ask a question. Things that we're musing about. Uh, one of the questions that the boys had, how do you find time for each other when ministers work nights, weekends, and holidays? And the other spouse is usually on a regular weekday schedule or the kids are on a weekday schedule with school. I have more limited experience with that than, than you will, Barb, because uh, your boys are all the way through and ours haven't yet started. Uh, but how do we make time for ourselves when um, you have a weird schedule and I have a more traditional schedule? I have had a, a somewhat untraditional schedule. I've been home, I was home with Alice for a lot of her first year, her first year, uh, which was really great. But before that, when I was working you know, uh, and since when working full time, uh, it takes a lot of coordination. Who can pick somebody up at 5.30 or six o'clock? Um, it's generally not the mornings that are hard. It's the, it's the coordinating pickups in the evening. Who can pick up Alice at, at six o'clock from daycare? That one was hard because uh, we live 20 minutes from Unity and uh, the job I'm thinking of was, uh, you know, 20 minute commute across town. So it was just, uh, I think you have to have very strong communication skills in this job generally. And by this job, I mean my position as pastor spouse, unpaid, uh, volunteer, intern, maybe. Um, yeah, you just have to be very clear about, um, coordinating things and you're gonna to have to miss out on a few things that happen in the evening and yeah I think you have to be very comfortable caring for in my case you know one and we have two now we have two children um caring for them impromptu by yourself for an unknowable amount of time and that is hard that is tough uh but I certainly have gotten a lot better at it over time. And I, I don't think of it as a downside of the job. It's just a consequence. Michael in particular will tell you about the nine times that John and I did not communicate well and forgot him somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Heard that. He's got every one of them registered. So Yes, that transition time in the evening, I think, is the hardest. When my day isn't done yet, John's day is already starting, and who's picking up who? And I knew I was home for dinner, homework, and bed, um, but that dinner time was not, I couldn't set it from the office. So I actually usually ended my office hours earlier because I had to be sure I was out the door and picking up. But so communication is huge. And I think 
Um, and it might not be really different than other people, but you have to take the, t you have to plan for the time and you have to take the time when you can get it. So you might not want to have time together right now, but this is what you got and you got to take it. And this is for the day. This. <laughs> so um, you just learn to kind of not actually plan for it, but take it when it comes, I think. Oh, Sorry, I joined late. <laughs> the Northwoods is five minutes behind everybody else. Um, what was the question? And I'll answer it. Actually, the first one we're interested in that we addressed was where in the ministerial process did your, your relationship start? Oh, that's an easy one. Did you know that um, ahead of time? Oh, well, Dave and I met at the blood gas lab at St. Joe's in Milwaukee, and we just knew we were going to be each other's best bestie, and eventually we fell in love, and um, <clears throat> we got married right before he was going, he was done with his first year of um seminary and we got married um in September so he was going back for the next year and um I worked he was at uh, Luther Seminary in uh St. Paul Minnesota um I was the breadwinner I ended up working I was a nurse and worked at the University of Minnesota and it was night shift so you know new marriage new job and work a night shift, it was really kind of a tough, tough process. As far as kids go, um, I can't say we ever forgot them. It was just kind of hairy. Um, we had go-to people in each one of our towns that if for some reason I had to go off to work or he wasn't done with the meeting, we had lots of go-to people. So no, our kids can't say we forgot them. Sorry, Barb. <laughs> so well, Michael is deeply offended by all of these experiences. Yeah. All right. It, it sounds like a good place to lead into. How did the kids take ministry? Um, and you probably, maybe you've had, what is the most embarrassing moment one of your kids did? <laughs> at church or, you know, when your husband's preaching or wife's preaching, what was the moment that was really the most um, memorable? Let's put it that way. Specifically in regards to children. Oh yes. Okay. Uh, I will be very short. My children have not yet. Been yeah. They haven't had time to oh. get into trouble yet. <laughs> there is no aspect of church that Alice does not love. She loves going to church. She loves talking about going to church. Uh, she loves Gail and she loves uh, Laurie being in the nursery. I know those days are kind of behind us now with COVID, but um, she loves going and playing in the empty church. Um, like it's a it's a wonderful place to be three years old, almost three. But I have I have yet yet to be embarrassed by them. But I am curious. <laughs> oh, it's coming. It's oh. coming. <laughs> Go ahead, Barb. I would say the first experience that I had was uh, with David and Michael at Cross. 
cross of life. Um, I was holding, I always felt committed to have the boys in worship. I really wanted them to, you know, be a part of that. I thought it was important and I thought it was important for the church to accept kids in worship. And so my commitment was to have them there in worship. So I'm sitting there holding Michael, who's an infant, three months old, and and David decides he's going to take off crawling under the pews forward to the front of the church. And I'm watching heads in each pew as he gets to the next pew go, looking down at this child crawling under the pew and knowing I have to go up to the front and collect him. I'm just completely embarrassed about that. Well, I have one that's just uh, similar to that. Our oldest son, John, we have three kids, John, Mark, and Ruth. And at the time, I would say he was five years old. During, just like Barb, I always had a pew that was easy exit out the door if I need to with my three kids. And um, it was at the front of the church because that was a place where the kids seemed to pay attention more because they didn't have as many distractions. But this particular time was in our farming community church. And um, my son, John, snuck out of the nursery He had a fly swatter and he goes up during the middle of the sermon and proceeds to play on the altar. Now, this is a very stout, you know, children are supposed to sit in the pew kind of church. And I was just flabbergasted, but I walked up, I got him and didn't make a scene and brought him back to the pew. So that's how it goes. So look forward to that with Alice. Let me tell you, Andrew, it's a coming. <laughs> I'm sure that we all actually get more grace than, I mean, we shouldn't be embarrassed by those things. Those are natural things that kids are going to do. But it's just, you know, it feels that way. You're um, suddenly the center of attention. Yeah. I, I would say that I think our boys' experience of church you know, as with Alice already, Andrew was always positive. Snow days were spent at church, but they were spent at church with all the kids of all the other staff. So they ended up good friends and um, having a great time. And John, of course, would love to join them to play. (laughs) He doesn't need a lot of encouragement for that. Uh, So he would always enjoy having them at church. So there's no nothing, um, no downer about church for our boys, I don't think. Um, I would say that our my experience of having David in Togo uh, in a small village nine hours from the capital, um, I realized that that the boys had this sense of that they were loved. No matter what they did in the world, no matter where they were, they were loved. And and I think that comes from their experience in the church. Um, that even when they were bad, and there were instances where they were bad, um, they were they knew they were still loved, and so they can go to Togo and they could go to Panama, and and they know they will be loved. And I think that was just an invaluable gift that the churches gave them. Mm-hmm. I will say, um, all my kids loved church, and. Um, 
we had a mission congregation that we started and um, they were the best uh, ambassadors you could ever have as far as what our ministry was all about. And that was just loving people. And um, my kids were involved in teaching Sunday school. But the moment that sticks out a lot is one of my sons, this was New Year's Eve, and he received a phone call. And so they were like eight, almost 17, ready to graduate from high school. He receives a phone call from one of his friends and he said, hey, are you going to church service tonight? And my son would say, yep, I'm going. Okay. And it was the most unbelievable scene to see 20 plus young people in this church on New Year's Eve, just being friends, but also realizing it was a good place to be. So there's so many good things that kids can do along the way. And that was um, probably one of our highest points of our ministry um, in that mission church is to see all the young people in there. And it wasn't just young kids, but it was the teenagers and the ones that were going to go off to college. And um, so it was really a neat experience. So how about if we take a, a question from somebody in the audience? Anybody want to know something? Don't be shy. It's your time. What's something you can tell us that would surprise us that we wouldn't have expected? In what way? What are you thinking? Oh, you just leave it open to that. Okay. Is, is something you wouldn't have expected as a minister's pet, uh, spouse? What bad? Something we wouldn't have expected or something you wouldn't have expected us to say? <laughs> Either one. Either one. Yeah. Well. Um, speaking just from pre-COVID times, um, we are actually at church a lot, um, and that seemed that's. Um, I think the assumption is that we are there just kind of on, on Sunday mornings, but usually, most often a week, and maybe I'm overstating this, but pre-COVID it would not be unusual for us to both be at church three times or four times a week, um, even for a short spell. Um, so I'm in the building a lot uh, doing, you know, watering plants, you know, things that don't matter at all. I, I keep the plants alive in Muriel's office. Um, but uh, yeah, we're, we're in the building and um, we duck our heads into all sorts of things, um, you know, ferrying kids. Uh, I, I took a group of kids to Culver's the day before the evening of the lock-in. Uh, what was that? No, it was packing for the Boundary Waters trip, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. And we actually ran into another, uh, uh, it was a parent-sponsored group of kids uh, at that Culver's preparing to pack for the Boundary Waters. Um, that's just an anecdote to what I, I think is a an interesting tidbit. Thank you. Barb, how about you? Um I yeah, I I can't really think of anything that's um 
unusual. I would say the one time I, well, maybe, maybe the two are related. The one time that I was caught by surprise was the one time when I did a children's sermon at uh, Cross of Life and had, because, because everybody else was gone. I don't know if it was when Sherry was there or when Maria was there, but there was no one else to preach. So I was preaching. I did the children's sermon and I asked the kids if they knew who I was, expecting them to say, you're Pastor John's wife. And the answer was, you're Michael's mom. <laughs> and it was like, oh, yeah, there's a whole group of people who know me as Michael's mom, not John's wife. Uh, and so that kind of stopped me for a minute and made me think about perspective and who am I talking to and um, that kind of thing. And I will say that that you know the last 30 years of my life have been has been devoted to finding objects for the children's sermon <laughs> so I find great gifts or I and I give them to John for Christmas or his birthday or whatever and so I find these unusual things I don't know what the children's sermon is um and when I give it to him he doesn't know what the children's sermon is but something comes up and there's some connection. It's just a great object for the children's sermon. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, my husband has been a minister for over 35 years. And um, over those 35 years, you have the highest highs and the lowest lows. Um, being a pastor's spouse, um, we're a lot of times the go-to people. But I'm always amazed at how we are privileged to be a part of people's lives when they are most vulnerable. And um, I think that strikes me as one of the most, uh, well, for example, we had a, in the town where we had our mission congregation, we had a young um, teenage boy disappear um, from the grocery store he worked at. And um, we ended up becoming the church that if kids needed something, they we were the go-to people. And I can remember that day of being one of the highest highs, but one of the saddest highs of our ministry when you saw a parking lot at the grocery store filled with people and my husband conducting a church service for all those kids that lost their, you know, friend, their, you know, classmate. Um, he came from a, a family that had eight siblings. So it wasn't, you know, it, it affected the whole town in some way. And I think that's a very special moment that we are privileged to experience along the way. And I'll never forget those moments. So that's mine. And anybody else have a question? Oh, you're on mute. How do you feel as um, spouses of pastors or how did your kids feel um, knowing that you could be included in the sermon? I mean, it would probably be at a time when 
you know, kids were maybe in their teen, teen years, were they embarrassed by it or was it okay with them? And were you okay with it? And also were you consulted when they maybe hit a block about, gosh, I can't think of a topic for this weekend's sermon. Do you bounce ideas off each other? Go ahead, Andrew. <laughs> okay, I'll jump in first. Uh, so first thing, our children don't have a voice yet in their own usage in sermons. Uh, but our rule is that uh, I am fodder for sermons anytime that Muriel wants. Um, if it's going to be something personal and not something funny, our rule is that she will ask. Uh, and I can't remember ever saying no. I've never said no, but it's nice to know ahead of time. <laughs> uh, never has there been a reason that Muriel thought would be a good reason uh, to include me that I have thought was a bad reason to include me. Um, most of it is funny stuff. Um, many of them are just stories that are anecdotal to uh, you know, part of the part of the sermon. Um, so that's, I think, your answer to the first question. Um, your second question was, can you can you remind me, Debbie, what you what your second um, question? Was? Do they bounce ideas oh, off? Yes. Sometimes, and I want to be involved all the time. <laughs> I want to help write and uh, uh, and brainstorm and think of the right way to say something, explain something, uh, tell a story, all of that. And Muriel lets me in about one out of the ten times they offer. Uh, did you say that? Okay, accurate? but what you did do that was awesome. Was so my least favorite part of sermon writing is thinking of the title. And you usually have to at least when bulletins were at the end of the title before you've written the sermon. Um, well, you have to think of it on Thursday. Some people write sermons before Thursday. <laughs> so one time Andrew made a list for me of 10 super generic sermony sounding titles. <laughs> <laughs> sermon, no matter what it ended up. <laughs> Pick one. Yeah. Like, the most important thing. And just when you think it is, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> Things like that, <laughs> but I get an immense amount of enjoyment out of helping Muriel with those things, and helping is the wrong word. Um, of being a part of that, you know, as, as a person who thinks of themselves as a creative speaker, I love public speaking and I love uh, crafting a message. Um, Muriel's so good at it uh, that I just I want to be involved somehow. Anyway, that's me. Yeah. Barbs. Barbs. <laughs> Go ahead, Barb. Um, I I would say we talk about the sermon a lot in the development stage. John writes it for sure, but um, we talk about ideas. We talk about what in the in the pat in the uh, scripture reading for the weekend strikes you. Um, illustrations. Sometimes I have an illustration to share to demonstrate something. Um, 
So I would say that's, there's a lot of collaboration. Of course, in these days, John's writing these now earlier because they're taping. So it's a really different schedule. He used to write them on Saturday morning. So I'd have my cup of coffee and we would talk about the sermon and that's not happening anymore. So, um, so I think there's probably less of that right now. Um, in terms of uh, fodder for the sermon, I think he used to ask me often about using things. And I think like you, Andrew, there was never a time that I said, don't share that. And so I think I kind of trust his judgment as to whether or not it's something that I would be uncomfortable with sharing or not. So, so normally when I hear my name on Sunday morning, it's like, uh Oh, what did, what did I do now? Or what did he say? Or, um, sometimes gets my attention back to the sermon very quickly. Uh, but in terms of the boys, I think he has, uh, he has never used the boys without knowing in advance that it's okay to use a story. I think most of the time he has couched that in a generic story or a story about somebody else's kid, not his kid, um, even though it might have been about his kid. Um, so there was some distance um, for the boys. So, Barb? Well, I'm totally different. That's all Dave, you know. Um, but after his sermon is done, I'm the one that gets to tell him, good job. Um, I liked it. It moved me to tears. Or, oh, you know, Um he has used me um, in the sermon, but being married to him for 38 years, he would never do anything to either any of our kids or to myself that would not be approved or um, said in a way that just illustrates the sermon that he's doing in the gospel of that week. So um, I... Uh, we talk after, not before a lot. Um, I leave his creativity to himself and um, he does, though the one time I kind of thought he crossed the line is when he used my speeding ticket <laughs> that I got coming home from my job, but he turned it around for grace in that he said, and, and it truly was, I got the speeding ticket and then uh, Christmas Eve of all Christmas time, all of a sudden this officer comes up to the unit. Now he must have been told by his superiors, you never give a nurse a ticket. And he came up, he gave me the ticket and he said, just tear it up and walked away. I never was so dumbfounded in my entire life. I knew I'd done wrong, but you know, it was God's grace that I was forgiven for my wrongdoing. So um, it was really special. So that's the sermon he would always give, you know, when it was appropriate. And so I redeemed myself in the end. So, so well, I know we're at 1148. How should we wrap this up, guys? Who has one last question or from one of our spouses that, we really should answer in a couple words. What about that question about the the best use your car's been put to? Was oh, 
Okay. Start out, somebody. Oh, boy. Um, in one day... Oh, this is good. Um, in one day, I rented a snow cone machine, um, a bounce house, and... Oh, and like, and and acquired a, a car full of this like basketball shooting game, um, and somehow fit all of them into the trunk of our car with five people who were going to uh, to cross Lutheran for a block party. For their block party, yeah, um, wow. And I don't remember where I drove to get that like shaved ice machine. But it was somewhere like northwest of I don't know Fond du Lac. It was uh, so far away. <laughs> um, I, there was some disaster with the one that we had uh, rented previously. I don't know. It wasn't available at the last minute at seven a.m. on Sunday, so we had to go to a hardware store in some indecipherable small town in Wisconsin, but. That's that's the only thing I can think of, other than like transporting an irresponsible number of people a short distance. What about you, Barb? You my, my best memory of the car was was one of the senior high um, junk food scavenger hunt. Oh my goodness! And I had three football players in my back seat, so the car was already riding low, and then they stuffed <laughs> themselves wherever we were, and. Oh my goodness! In and out of the car, and um, it was that was just really a fun, fun event. <laughs> well, my husband um, started a mission congregation, but I would say probably for about five years we worshipped in a um, junior high gym, and so every Sunday our car was loaded up with sound equipment you know, speakers, um, you name it, altar stuff. It was just, it was packed and it was called Here It Comes. And uh, it was just, yeah, it was kind of nice when we had a permanent home then that we didn't have to haul that stuff around. So I want to thank each and one, especially to Barb and Andrew for agreeing to do this, for Matt for being the Zoom person for us, and for you guys for attending our our little group. I hope you go away with some some good information, um, little tidbits you didn't know. Thanks to everybody.